Welcome back to the Good Play. My name is Brianna, and with me on the in with me on the line, there's some very weird energy coming off her right now. It's my sister Marissa. I guess I need some more ethics lessons. <laughs> Can I just before we get started? I want to apologize for the delay. This is a hundred percent your fault. It is a hundred percent my fault. Uh, I was stuck in the bad place for an entire week. Arguably longer than an entire week. Um, I was traveling, which was actually wonderful. Um, seeing my dear sister, actually. Yeah, we couldn't get it together to actually record when we were in the same place. Yeah, we couldn't get it together to record when we were actually in the same place. We were too busy actually spending time together. Also, I don't know how to record a podcast when we're in the same place. We'd have to do some research on that first. Yeah, that's a good... I, I don't know how to do that. Either. Listeners, if you know... clue us in uh and then uh because my nephews just love me so much you know they just sort of licked me and slobbered on me and stuff and that got me sick and so i've been sick for a week and then on top of that my computer i think also caught a cold so i had to make a trip to the apple store but all is well now and uh you have a shiny Mac- new MacBook with no with no CD DVD drive anymore. That's right. We've we've moved past that. Speak for yourself. It's like a spaceship here. It's got Siri, so maybe we can ask it. Maybe we can ask Siri the burning questions we have about the good place. But thank you all for your patience with the delay and also with how my voice sounds this time <laughs> while we're recording. Yeah, not great. No, doesn't sound great. But at least you can distinguish me from Marissa this time around. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So um, before we get started uh, with the recap, let's do the episode structure. Uh, We're going to do some up at the top, some housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes now. You can find us on Cast. What's our Cast? uh... Goodplate.cast.rocks, I believe. All right, and you can find us on Twitter at at the Good Play Pod, and uh, on Facebook at the Good Play. So, and I guess people can email us now. Oh, that's right. We're at uh, the Good Play Pod at gmail dot com. Send us an email. Um, thank you for those of you on the Facebook group who were so nice to me. Oh, someone someone gave us an iTunes review. Did you see that? No. What? One Someone person, gave us an iTunes review. I didn't recognize the iTunes username, but it was something very nice about like, oh, I like this podcast. And I was like, oh, oh hello. Thank you, iTunes reviewer. <laughs> I wish I, I don't, I just don't have iTunes open in front of me. It was when I was using my mom's phone to subscribe to this podcast that I saw that it had a review. <laughs> <laughs> so is mom subscribed to us now? Yeah, I don't think she's going to listen. No, I don't think so either. But I I taught her how to open the podcast app and how to make it so yeah. that we're talking to her. But I don't think she's interested in listening to it. She listens to us enough. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We've got an episode recap. We've got discussion and questions. I have in here, shall we return to the ship for Shipper Wars Part 3? Oh boy, this is, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot going on. I loved all of it. 
Uh, and we've got an article roundup, and then I thought we might talk about what we're doing for the hiatus. We're going to decide on the fly while we're talking. What we're we gonna are going to, because we literally haven't spoken about this, but I think it's fine. Do you want to jump into the episode recap? Yeah, I'd better do, do it. You wanna, since, uh, not only since... do I always do it, but you also have only like one eighth of your usual voice power. It's true. It's not great. Maybe that means I'll interrupt you less. <laughs> So this episode is called Derek, and it is appropriately, uh, a lot of it is about Derek, the Jason Manzoukas character. Um, We pick up right where we left off uh, in uh, Ted Danson's office, and he is freaking out about the fact that Janet has made this person, Derek. And Michael tells Janet, you know, you got to get rid of him, and Janet says no, and Derek is ridiculous. At one point, he just starts saying, ugh, Jason, Jason, Jason. Jason, 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 Jason. He can't stop saying Jason. He holds up a little Wiley Coyote style sign. I can't stop saying Jason. Um, that's about the level that his character is operating at. Um, <laughs> Michael's pretty panicked. Um, says, you know, if, if anyone finds out about Derek, then the whole experiment is just going to come crashing down. Janet and and certainly Derek are are not being any help. So Michael's trying to kind of address this situation point by point. So the first point is he goes and sees to honey and Jason and says, okay, um, you know, you two must be pretty miserable being cooped up here. So I've set up a campsite for you. And I told, and I told Vicky that I'd be torturing you for the weekend. And uh, Janet is still offline. So don't try to call her. And the best part is none of this is suspicious. Okay. Bye. I loved that. (laughs) I love that cut to Eleanor's house. Eleanor is again watching the videotape where she and Chidi are in bed together, confessing love for each other. Chidi comes home and she immediately is like, oh, what? oh nothing. I'm not doing anything. What are you? What? what? Um, for someone who was like a real grifter on Earth, she really is like not holding it together very well. Well, I don't think she's this. ever, I don't think she's ever tried to grift around this kind of topic you know someone she actually cares about yeah this is a yeah. sticky situation you know she's like oh you watch that a lot and she's like yes yeah, favorite movie but you can never watch it oh oops I'm being, <laughs> I'm being selfish again i guess i need another ethics lesson and he's like yeah um and it's, it's almost like they were about to get into it but then michael kind of bursts in and is like hey um i kind of need to murder derek you know and he shows them who derek is by calling for janet Janet tells Eleanor that she made Derek and Eleanor is like, Ooh, is this because of what I said about a rebound guy? And Janet says, yeah, and I'll, I'll make you a boyfriend too. Uh, based on your last 1000 comments, it would be stone cold Steve Austin's head on Tahani's body. And Eleanor's like, or vice versa. <laughs> and uh, Michael's like, no, 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 we're not, you know, <laughs> yeah. not doing this. Meanwhile, Derek is sort of spouting nonsense and, Janet says that his brain is wrong, which I think might be sort of like a veiled Trump reference, maybe. Do you think that that's... I wouldn't put it past them. You know, that whole Alec Baldwin, my brain is bad, sort of famous line from SNL. Yeah. Um, We cut to the campsite where we see Tahani and Jason. Tahani tries to teach Jason croquet. And Jason kind of puts up with it for like half a second. And then he's like, yeah, but what if we, you know, smashed the croquet balls with the mallets as much as we could as far as we they could go and we smashed them through like a champagne tower and like just they're they're making a mess and they're having fun jacksonville jaguars rule 
the Jaguars are an adequate team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're just totally oblivious. Cheney will not ethically okay the murder of Derek. Michael says, okay, if, if we can't kill Derek, then let's just break up Jason and Tahani. And Eleanor says, girl, you are a messy bench who loves drama and I am into it. They kind of high five, which is great. It's just once again reinforcing the fact that Michael and Eleanor are sort of like the two most similar characters yeah. in this whole universe. And Chidi starts talking about the doctrine of do- double effect, which I think is something about how you can't really do one thing if your real intent is to cause something else. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason and Tahani at their campsite are getting to know each other. And, you know, the long and short of it is that Jason proposes to Tahani. And yeah, so then the next scene is um, we're back at Eleanor's house and, um, you know, and they're still sort of debating what exactly they're going to do. And Michael decides to call Janet. And when Janet and Derek arrive, they are in a like epic screaming match. Um, Just the sort of like ugly, ugly couples fighting. And so then now it seems like, you know, their options are even more limited than they were, uh, which is really bad. Uh, Meanwhile, Tahani accepts Jason's proposal I think she kind of feels like, well, why not? You know? Yeah. Like, there's just, what else is she going to do in this universe? Well, she even says, right, like, you know, why on earth would I marry you? And he's like, well, we're not on earth for one thing. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So Tani calls Janet. Oh, this is so painful. She calls Janet so that Janet can help them plan their wedding. And Janet is just like, so beside herself, but so trying to keep it cool. You know, just like stone-faced and kind of like yeah i'm okay no everything's fine and there's a lot of quick cuts back and forth between the two sort of plot lines that are kind of bumping into each other michael and eleanor are like well what are we going to do now you know now that janet and derek are you know at each other's throats then janet kind of pops in to deliver uh jason into honey's wedding invitations and ted danson does a great line reading here (laughs) The ceremony will be private, but it would be totally dope if you biznatches came and got turnt up with us afterwards. I mean, his pronunciation both of biznatches and turnt are yes. pretty great. Yeah. Derek kind of decides to... They're so, Derek and Janet are still so mad at each other that Derek decides to kind of run away so that he doesn't have to go back to the void since that's sort of Janet's place, not really his place. And Janet pops away as well so they're really kind of powerless here michael and chidi and eleanor and so michael's like you know chidi can we justify now you know breaking up tahani and jason and he says well your real effect has your real intention has to be that you want to save jason and tahani pain because this was a secret they didn't know um it can't really be that you want janet to kill Derek." and michael's like oh so it's like I better tell Jason and Tahani about the fact that Jason used to be married to Janet and it would be too bad if Janet killed Derek. Wink. And he's like, no, 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 no winking. Don't even but, say wink. Yeah. But Eleanor and Michael are like totally on the same page and they're like, okay, bye. And they like run off. Um, Michael and Eleanor and Chidi end up crashing Jason and Tahani's wedding. Michael interrupts, but he actually can't bring himself to do the breaking up. He says that Professor Buzzkill has gotten into his head. So Eleanor is the one who explains that Janet is sad because Janet and Jason were married in the first uh, run through. 
Um, and the wedding breaks up itself pretty much at that point. And she introduces Derek. That's right. She shows them all Derek. So they're sort of trying to figure out at that point what exactly it is that they can do from here because everything is really topsy-turvy. Eleanor says, you know, Michael, why don't you reboot us? And it becomes pretty clear from the way that she says it that her real intention is that she wants to forget about this videotape she has seen. But Michael says, no, you know, we've come too far. I I don't want to go back. Um, So, you know, we have to reboot Janet or reboot Derek. Janet is kind of losing her mind because she doesn't understand what's going on which really frightens her because she's supposed to know everything and Eleanor kind of steps in at this point and they kind of go off by the two of them by themselves to have like a little heart to heart and I I don't usually nitpick on technical things but this scene is 100% ADR I think because they filmed too close to the ocean yeah I thought that too which like has to be a thing that they can predict is going to happen and it is so distracting to watch it and see the voices not really line up with the mouth movements and Darcy Carden in particular her voice sounds like totally different than her normal Janet voice and it was just painful 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 can we please not um can we please not film next to the ocean anymore but in any case the content of the scene is that Eleanor is telling Janet that, you know, rebound guys are really for minor bruises to your heart. And if your heart's actually broken, then you kind of just have to sit with it and process your pain. And one of the ways to do that is to talk about it to a friend. And, you know, Eleanor is Janet's friend and Eleanor is happy to talk to her about it. So Janet on her own realizes she has to shut down Derek. So she reabsorbs his thoughts and knowledge and things of that nature um which involves making out on the beach and uh something i skipped over earlier is that derek has a wind chime instead of a penis so i have uh, in my notes wind chime penis question mark question mark question mark right so as they are reabsorbing his knowledge into her um there is a sound of wind chimes, which yeah. Eleanor's like, everybody look away except for me. Quick, uh, that that wind chime sound, they, I'm pretty sure they used the sound, one of the, um, one of the alarm sounds on the iPhone. Oh, that's that's, that's the sound that I use for my alarm in the morning. And, I mean, uh, that, that or all wind chimes sound alike, right? That's, yeah. Um, but now I can't, listen to my alarm without thinking about <laughs> Zooks's wind chime penis, which uh, that's not going to be a problem at all. <laughs> Janet puts Derek into power saver mode, which means he's just saying the word Derek at random intervals and he <laughs> shuts him in a giant wooden coffin and uh, throws him into a remote corner of her uh, boundless void. Uh, we see Jason and Tahani kind of in bed together, sort of like discussing what has happened and Jason's actually really sweet. He's like, look, I know I was married to Janet, but I don't remember it. And I really like you. And I'm sorry that this makes things weird for you. And, you know, they sort of try to get to know each other better for a minute. But Tahani is horrified by every detail of Jason's like pretty underprivileged and, um, admittedly harrowing existence. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So instead they kind of just, it's implied that they just end up having sex instead, but in a sweet way. 
Then we cut back to Eleanor and Chidi, and Eleanor cannot hold it in any longer. And she tells Chidi, no, she has the secret. She shows him the video. And Chidi is absolutely floored at this version of himself that, you know, confessed that to Eleanor so readily. You know, he says, I've never been that certain about anything. I once tried to rent socks, which is a pretty <laughs> good line. I So I watched this episode, I think, three times. And the last time I watched it, I really focused on Eleanor's face when Chidi is watching the video and reacting. And I mean, major props to Kristen Bell. This is like such an, this is such a choice, but the look on her face is so sort of restrained giddiness and hopefulness. Yeah. She really wants him to say he's like on this path again. I mean, that's, that's just me reading her facial expression, but I felt the same way. It was, I mean, both this end and her expression while she was watching it earlier in the episode, like she just wanted him to be on the same page as she secretly is. And so she says, you know, she wants to discuss it and she sort of leads with the questions, you know, so do you have those feelings now? And he apologizes and says no and she's like oh why are you apologizing no it's totally fine it's so cool dude it's so great bro whatever and he's kind of trying to talk to her because i think probably he senses that there's more going on here but um just as they're trying to have a discussion michael kind of barges in again um he has a real sense for timing here and he comes in just to ask eleanor why she continues trying with all this ethics stuff when it's so difficult. I mean, he finds it very difficult and he knows that she's the one that's most like him and would find this whole ethics thing the most challenging. And she says stuff about sort of silencing the little voice in her head that um, knows it's not all right to commit unethical acts. And it's hard for us to know as the audience, like how much is it that and how much it, how much of it is, you know, this really deep, abiding fondness for Chidi that sort of has driven her. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about that in the discussion section. Yeah. Then Michael sort of gets up to leave and Eleanor realizes that, you know, he really did just come to talk and she's, you know, happy that they're friends. And the look on Ted Danson's face is just so adorable. (laughs) You know, there's sort of, you know, she says, you know, coming just to chat is a very human-y thing. And he kind of gets this look on his face like, I guess I am sort of starting to fit in with my new crew my new dance crew (laughs) like i'm kind of having a good time and everything's starting to click and then of course (laughs) he walks back to his office opens the door he's loosening his tie sean is sitting at his desk and has the entire sort of dossier of every failed attempt sitting open in front of him Mm -hmm. and he says you know michael have a seat and that's the end of the episode and it's the end of uh the first part of season two and we're now staring down the barrel of a eight week hiatus i guess now it's a seven week hiatus from the perspective of us recording right now yeah but uh that was nuts it was a nuts ending yeah i was like no yeah i believe my my tweet that was retweeted by the official good place twitter account just said like oh no (laughs) That's pretty much the only reaction you can have. Yeah, what did you think about this episode? It was very frenetic, which I think was on purpose. 
And I think all of the Derek stuff was just sort of, you know, it's the magician who is getting your attention over here while he does the sleight of hand, you know, over there. I think that the Derek stuff was the sleight of hand and the real things that were happening behind the scenes was all this sort of slower moving machinery with Michael's um, struggles with ethics and Eleanor's struggles with her feelings about Chidi and the whole crew's struggles not to be discovered by the powers that be. It was very enjoyable sleight of hand. Uh, so I have no, I have no, um, I have no complaints about that. But, you know, it's like all this stuff is happening at this sort of very loud volume very quickly, like blah, 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 blah. And then in the background, it's sort of like, oh, but the real story is that, you know, there's these deep emotional currents that are flowing faster and faster. And it's all about to hit headlong into this sort of unmovable object of Sean's um, disgust for the whole project. Yeah, especially as we see all of the both of the characters who have never been human, you know, we've been talking over the past few weeks about how they're getting more and more human. And it's almost lulled you into this sense of like this rhythm, this of, Oh, here are our characters and they're going to get into zany hijinks every week. And they're going to learn to love and accept each other more every week. And then this is kind of our new normal. It's just like them coexisting in this weird place and making the best of the situation. And then all of a sudden at the end, at the very end, you run into the real stakes of this, which is like, Oh yeah, there was a real, there, there was a real chance that they would be caught all along. And this isn't just zany hijinks. This is also like for Michael, uh, I don't want to say life and death, but like an existence and non-existence situation, yeah, right? Essentially life and death. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I agree with you. I thought it was really good. And I did also think that, you know, the stuff with Derek, it didn't surprise me that it was resolved as quickly as it was. Cause I think you're right. It was more to kind of distract us from all the other machinations. Although, you know, as usual, all props to Jason Manzukis for really selling the hell out of this insane soulless genitalless first time creation of janet my god he was hysterical i got to see jason manzukis live at a podcast taping this week and i really really wanted to ask him about his character but sadly i did not get a chance to ask a question oh that's a that's a crime i know if i could have i would i would have I'm going to, you wrote this line that this was also the line that, um, that stood out to me of the, of the Derek character. Good, Bob. I hope we same place again. Very now. (laughs) Yeah, he was just, his delivery was fantastic. And I liked how quickly they swung from getting along and being totally in love and not listening to anybody else to like being in each other's throats I thought that was like a good uh, illustration of if you are a, if you are two ethereal beings who don't really understand hormones or um, emotions, you might find yourself in this situation (laughs) of just like a condensed, very intense 
romantic relationship. Yeah, I don't think that the Shipper Wars, uh, Derek slash Janet, is a very um, interesting topic. I Are there Shipper Wars about them? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I think it's definitely worth our while to talk about you know, uh, Jason Tahani and uh, Eleanor Cheedy. Obviously, Jason Tahani is the easier subject because it's a little less deep. But it's really interesting how Jason kind of keeps getting through Tahani's defenses in ways that she doesn't anticipate. And she sort of mentioned something this episode about how she was never allowed to goof off at all when she was a child. Maybe ever in her whole life. Yeah. And so he is this sort of puckish companion for her who opens up a a way of being that she hasn't ever allowed herself to experience before. And again, I don't think that this means that they are soulmates and I don't think it even necessarily means they're very good for each other in the long run, but it seems like in the short term they are making each other happy, which is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, the thing that stuck out to me other than, Dahani's flower crown, which was gorgeous. Um, the thing that stuck out to me was she's kind of waffling about accepting the proposal. And he says to her, I promise I will always be nice to you. And that's what does it. That's what does it for her. And, you know, we've talked before about how Jason just showing her like basic human kindness. Uh, and it was the same way with, with Janet. You know, like, he he didn't care that Janet didn't know everything when she was rebooted. He was just being nice to her. And so Janet kind of glommed onto him because of that. You see the same thing with Tahani, that, you know, the thing that disarms her is the fact that he just says, like, "I'll, I'll be nice to you. Like, I promise I'll always be nice to you. Because from what we've seen from her family situation and a lot of the ways that she deals with people is that she expects everybody to be underhanded or want something from her or, you know, want access to her sister or something like that. And she doesn't really have anybody. She didn't have anybody in her life on earth who just was just straight up nice to her. So I think, you know, that was interesting too. I I know that you're not Jason's biggest fan, but, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say he's growing on me. I think that's, maybe overstating it a little bit, but he, in his role as Tahani's boyfriend or fiance or whatever, he has certainly shown a side of himself that is a lot more sympathetic than, I would say, than his normal self, but also more than his um, relationship with uh, Janet, which, you know, was a really fun and funny piece of the show in season one but it always felt a little creepy to me yeah it's a little bit of the there's a there's a trope called born sexy yesterday which is sort of this sci-fi trope of grown women kind of but they're also sort of newborns um so examples would be like um what's that bruce willis movie this the fifth element yeah the fifth element is one the new blade runner for sure. As okay, mu- I haven't seen that. As much as I loved it, it had some of that in it too. The Neutron movie apparently has this in it as well, where there is like a female entity who is, you know, physically adult and very sexy, but mentally is sort of a child. 
and the Jason Janet relationship always had a whiff to me of the born sexy yesterday, which is not totally fair to Janet since she, you know, she, she knows everything in the universe and, but, but when they get together, she is more naive. She has lost a lot of her knowledge and she is floundering a bit. And it always felt a little bit iffy to me that they sort of get together in this moment as opposed to now with Tahani, obviously Tahani is as knowledgeable as Jason, if not more so about pretty much anything except I guess, house music. Um, That's not music. That's EDM. Yeah. (laughs) And she has like a human full, a full human understanding of romantic relationships that Janet never had. So I feel a little bit more okay about this relationship and also Jason having to kind of be more of an emotional emotional support for Tahani is like a really interesting aspect to his character. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I, I think... I don't think either one of us necessarily ships Jason and Tahani, but it's an unlikely pairing that I'm kind of glad that they are spending some time on because I think to your point it's giving us insight into their characters in different ways like it's nice to see Tahani kind of you know letting her hair down even though she said I would never actually put my hair up it's not my hair's never been up I'm not a factory worker or whatever she says you know she would get along really well with Jack Donaghy she would (laughs) she would uh maybe we'll get an Alec Baldwin cameo on the good place. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to see her letting her hair down a little bit, letting her guard down. And it's nice to see Jason kind of stepping up and being a little bit more emotionally mature and available to someone. Um, But I kind of agree with you that I don't necessarily see this being a forever thing. Yeah. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. I, I cannot see how it could last because Tahani has made it perfectly clear that she she can't stand to delve into Jason's real life history which is something that I assume you cannot spend a little literal eternity with a person without delving into their backstory. I mean he went to Leonard Skinner High School. Which was just a bunch of tugboats tied up together in an abandoned junkyard. Yeah. So there's that. Jason and Tahani aside, I think we've covered what we're going to cover there. Yeah. Uh, now we get into the the heavy stuff, which is Chidi and Eleanor. Once again, I thought when Michael interrupted the two of them talking, I was like, oh God, are we in for some sort of Michael being like, I have feelings for Eleanor. And I was going to be like, no, don't do it, TV show. But once again, the TV show is smart enough to know that you cannot have an ageless demigod um, coming on to Kristen Bell, <laughs> the, a newly dead uh, 30-something Arizonian. Um, thank you, TV show. No. So let's... Thankfully, there's no shipping to be done with Michael whatsoever. I never no. Any, no Michael shipping ever, thank you, unless we meet one of his co-workers. Whatever. If it's like Michael's River Song or something like that. Right. Oh, a Doctor Who reference. Nice. I think that's our first one. Aren't you surprised it's coming from me? I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm I'm hipping with it sometimes. <laughs> B- 
but yeah, the real the real story here is cheating Eleanor, and oh boy, this oh. was this was a little bit heart rending. Holy moly, I felt for her. I felt for her. I've been there. Oh, it's it's hard. It's really hard. Oh, the way she was looking at him, the look on her face when she was watching him watch the videotape, it was just this like bubbling wellspring of hope inside of her heart and he just like brings the gate down as soon as she asks the question and oh man that's a killer yeah i mean and it's also very telling to me that like he is sort of trying to explain himself and she's trying to cut him off because she's like i just i don't want to i don't want to deal with it like it's it's too hard for her nor should she have to. That's my argument. Nor should she have yeah. to. But she should be able inter- to be like, okay, I don't want to talk about this anymore right yeah. now. And be able to walk away from a hit. But he really wants to process it more. Yeah. Because that's who he is. And yeah. and it's very telling to me that like when Michael comes in, Chidi is the one to say, like, actually, we're kind of in the middle of something. And she's like, no, 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 bro. It's totally cool. Dude, my dude. Like, just totally... I mean, just broing it up so that she can kind of extricate herself from that situation. Once again, I have been there. It is, I mean, I haven't been exactly there because I've never been, uh, you know, dead and friends with a demon. But, you know, it's, what's so interesting is that, you know, we've talked before about whether or not we're in or out on this relationship And I'm more in on it now after seeing her reaction to the fact that she doesn't that he doesn't have feelings for her anymore. Yeah, ironically. I'm more in on it because I remember being like, I'm not in on this. Like, I don't want them to be together. Like, they're just friends. And now seeing, like, knowing how much, like, knowing how invested she's become and knowing how much she has put into being a good person, mostly for the sake of being a good person, but I also do think it's because of Chidi and his influence. Watching her face, watch him, and and watching her reaction to his him saying, like, I don't think I do have those feelings for you, and I'm sorry. He says, you know, I feel incredibly close to you. Yeah. But it's not like that. And watching that, I was like, oh no, like, now I want it. And so... Kudos to the writers, because they took someone who is 100% about bro-lationships all the time. He turned me into a shipper, guys. Yeah, I mean, I I hate to see Eleanor disappointed like that. And there's also a pretty... um, Well, there's two things. First of all, there's a pretty practical argument to be made that Chidi has nowhere else to go. The, The implication of the flashbacks from Chidi's life is that he didn't really have any successful romantic relationships. And so it would be a nice thing if he could experience that for himself. But also the fact that we have this videotape and we've seen this and we know that it's possible for these two souls to be sort of perfectly matched, at least at some point in time, you know, you want him to have that. You want him to feel that because when you're in hell, maybe all you can hope for is to connect with someone else who's there with you. That's real. <laughs> I mean, like, that's that's some 
deep shirt right there. <laughs> I mean, he can't do the things he wanted to do in life. He can't write his 6,000-page book about ethics. You know, he can't make the world a better place. He is not of the world anymore. The only thing that he has left is the human connection that he has with the other humans who are with him, and arguably the human connection that he has now with Janet and Michael. The whole the whole range of human connection includes, you know, deep romantic love. And if you're going to be stuck in hell and, and you can't experience that, then I think you should be able to experience that. Yeah. I mean, I think... I don't disagree. I just think... I, I wonder if he's sort of okay... If he's rationalized his way to being okay with never experiencing that, right? Because it sounds like that's how it was while he was alive. And if you remember at the beginning of this season, he was kind of saying like, oh, I, you know, when Michael was doing the soulmate experiment on him, he's like, oh, it's okay if I don't have a soulmate. Like my soulmate can be books. It's like, I wonder if he in some way is looking at himself saying like, I don't recognize this person who is capable of having that kind of connection with somebody because he looked at the tape and was like, I've never been that sure about anything ever. Right. So I wonder how much of it is, how much of it is him genuinely reacting to like, no, I don't feel that way about you. And how much of it is him maybe not recognizing that he feels romantically towards her or recognizing it, but thinking that he's not, he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. I got the feeling that he really kind of did a, gut check and kind of thought like no like that's not a place where I am but it could be you know that he was terrified by the intensity of the of the videotape and even if he had some sort of a vague notion of a feeling like that kind of backed away with both hands in the air yeah I mean because I think it's one thing to say to say like oh I think there might be something here and then to be confronted with the fact like no 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 we're in love like, or we were in love at one point, And, you know, I think... It's very eternal sunshine. It is. It, is, it totally is. And it's also like, Eleanor, I think it would be, it would have been different if she had said, listen, do you have feelings for me? Like, you know, I'm starting to feel this way. Do you maybe feel this way? It's, I think it's different when confronted with, like, video evidence of you con- confessing your love for someone for the only time you've ever been able to do that in your life i don't know that i would like i think i would react poorly to that yeah i mean i might as well um but i think it's good that eleanor squared this away with him because i think it was too big of a secret for her to be keeping and i think it's something that chidi kind of needs to know especially as we go into a period of real real uncertainty about what exactly are they going to be ripped apart are just what what is even going to happen to them and for Chidi to know that he and Eleanor had this sort of deepest of connections at one point may be a way for him to kind of psychologically get through whatever is coming to them which might be really bad although Ian's prediction for what happens next which I actually thought was sort of brilliant is that Michael calls Janet in a panic and Janet throws Sean into a corner of her uh, boundless void. Ah! Which would temporarily solve the problem. With Derek? I guess with Derek. 
which I guess would temporarily solve the problem, but you know he'd be missed. So yeah, I guess that could bring us to the next segment, which is, uh, what do you think is going to happen next? This is such a, this is such an impossible thing to answer, and I could never have guessed any of what has happened so far, so I think it's so useless to even try, but I think it would be interesting if Sean kind of took Michael away from the cockroaches and installed Vicky in some way. Particularly if what Sean has is a record of all of Michael's failures. But I think in the official record, you know, the the quartet still does not know that they are being tortured, right? I mean, the, the quartet still, quote unquote, thinks it's the good place in Michael's official record, right? So... Maybe Sean thinks that this reboot is working so far and he takes Michael out of the equation and he lets Vicky run the uh, asylum and then it kind of becomes a rescue mission. I would love that. The quartet has to go find Michael um, and then maybe escape all five of them and I guess six with Janet, escape seven with Derek. Um, <laughs> escape to the real good place or maybe to the medium place or something else. I would love if it became a rescue mission. Like a trying to think of a good movie analogy here. Saving Private Ryan? Like the best things that happen on the beach? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean I think it would be if I would love that if if it became a a rescue mission because I don't know how else I'd also Love if we got to see more of Vicky, because I think that was another part of, like, what I, what we kept wishing for was, like, we want to see more Vicky reactions. Like, how did Sean know to get there? I think perhaps they have deliberately been withholding Vicky from us. Yeah, I agree. she has been informing on them, and they did not want to give us a clue. Yeah. Looking back on it, I think that that is probably true. Which is a dirty, rotten trick. Yes. But this but... show is pretty much full of dirty, rotten tricks. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I'm trying to think of what else could possibly happen. I mean, I think you're right that this iteration, it seems like in the official record, looks like it's working. So I do wonder if the fact that all this stuff has been ha- happening with Janet, I don't if that might give it away, if it might give it away that something's wrong or something's different. I'm not sure. Do you see, so do you have any different sort of predictions? Hmm. I think I should have thought about this in advance. Um, <laughs> I don't think we're going to see Ted Danson be, you know, his soul be like raked over hot coals or whatever quite yet. I think one thing that we can count on pretty much for this entire show is that Kristen Bell and Ted Danson aren't going anywhere in the yeah. long run. Yeah. So that at least I think is a pretty safe bet. But I do think because we're going to, you know, they said about this season that like transportation is a new main character and stuff like that. I do think we're going to travel to different places, whether that is the real good place, whether that's other bad place neighborhoods or, um, you know, whether we're going to, have to either rescue Michael or Michael maybe tries to like leave in the middle of the night and the rest of them go with him. Um, I think transportation is the new main character. Yeah. 
nothing that we've seen so far has really borne that out. So, you know, it really seems like we're going to have to get into it after the hiatus. I mean, we had transportation in terms of the trolley, but that was all hypothetical. Yeah, that didn't feel like the answer to that riddle. Yeah, we haven't really had a real, um, any sort of new transportation. I also am just waiting for my boyfriend to come back. Where is Adam Scott? Where is he? Are you hitting something as you talk? Yes, emphatically just hitting my leg as I as I talk. Where's my boyfriend? He's in the real bad place. Um, torturing people with like, you know, food poisonous egg salad or something. I just want him back. I just <laughs> want him back. He, uh, we should tweet this out. Uh, Adam Scott was like, I don't want to say hosted, but he like, he was in the video for the Good Place season one bloopers. It was yeah, hysterical. Yeah, that's pretty great. That's pretty great. It was great. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to have some sort of transportation thing as a part of the second half of the season. And I do wonder if Zooks is going to come back at all. Because they didn't really kill they, him. They, no, yes. They very much set it up for like, if any, if at any point in the future we require Jason Manzoukas back on the show, here is the entry point for him to come in. Thank you and good night. Yeah. Which made me very happy because I adore him. It may be another thing like um, his appearances on Parks and Rec where he comes once a season and it's a it's an event and then he goes back into his coffin. Right. Derek Hofstetter, P.I. P.I. Maybe they utilize his private investigator skills. I mean, I guess if you know everything in the universe, you can technically be a private investigator. I guess so. Although it doesn't seem to me like he knows everything in the universe. Yeah, no. He barely knows how to construct a sentence. Yeah, he says he does. He says, I know because you know. It's very strange. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff in here for Article Roundup. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm kind of not interested in going through all of these recaps, which as usual are good. You know, the AV Club's recap, um, the Vulture recap. But um, this article you found from The Ringer, I think, deserves a discussion. Yeah. Talking I- to a philosophy professor about the good place. Yeah, I like The Ringer a lot. They're they're the podcast network that hosts the podcast we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is an article, and we can tweet it out, um, but this is an article. Basically, the author is friends with someone whose dad is a philosophy professor at Princeton or something like that. So they have this whole conversation about... It pays about... to have lots of friends <laughs> with dads in high places. Yes. If anyone needs to talk to a 75-year-old man about golf swings, uh, Brianna and I can help you out. We might be related to someone like that. So there, I, I pulled out a couple of things here, and, and you can uh, jump in if you found anything else that you really liked. But um, the first thing is, the question or the, the setup is, even though the show is optimistic, it's also very dark. Um, only the narrowest fraction of humanity earns the right not to be eternally tortured. <laughs> And this guy says it's absolutely true. It's got a completely brutal view of what happens or what the afterlife is like for almost everybody. And uh, then he keeps going for a little while. And then he says, uh, the amazing thing about the show is that it's a show about heaven and hell without God. God is never mentioned. Um, And there's just a bureaucracy that runs the show, which is something that we've talked about before with our hashtag Amy Poehler for God. So... 
you know what's interesting to me as someone who is a member of a very 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 large bureaucracy is that a bureaucracy absolutely can lose its head and still hum along absolutely fine you know the real work is happening down at the lowest levels of a bureaucracy so when you don't have a head for whatever reason Everything hums along pretty much the same as it always has. And I don't know how long it can go along like that. But isn't it interesting to think that maybe God, a God or whatever, set up heaven and hell this way and then left or died or something? Yeah, like bounced. <laughs> yeah. And, and that these places have just chugged along perfectly happily in the absence of a God. Yeah. I mean, and it may, sort of makes me wonder if we're ever going to see... A god or if that is too sort of religious or this setup it does it does raise the question of what a network will allow a tv show to do in that arena and i don't i honestly do not know the answer to that yeah i mean i've talked about supernatural before so i won't do it again but it's <laughs> but in some ways CW, very similar w right yeah it is yeah so i think that the restrictions that nbc puts on a show are probably going to be a little bit more confining than what the CW does. I don't know why I have that feeling. I just do. The CW is like a little more fast and loose, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They've left Supernatural on the air for like 13 seasons. So doing something right over there. Yeah. The other thing this made me think of was, uh, there's a really great comedy writer named Simon Rich who used to write on SNL. He's written for Pixar did he write that book, The Last Girlfriend on Earth? He did. He wrote Last that's Girlfriend a, on Earth. That's and, like a mildly amusing book. Oh, I love that book. And uh, he wrote a novel called What in God's Name. And uh, it's about uh, basically God uh, has created Earth, but gets bored of it and wants to open up like a, a like a fusion sushi restaurant or something. So he basically is like, I'm just going to delete earth like i'm just gonna destroy it and these two and it, but it's this heaven is this bureaucracy and there's a miracles department and these two lowly peons in the miracles department are the ones who fight to keep earth from being destroyed by a god who got bored with earth and doesn't want to deal with it anymore and wants to go run a restaurant so you know it's interesting to see how many different versions of heaven in sort of pop culture or, you know, books and literature and all that kind of stuff have it sort of set up like a bureaucracy that doesn't really need a a leader so much. It's kind of deism, you know? It's sort of Thomas Jefferson's view of the world. Say more about that. Oh, so deism, I don't know if I'm saying, it's either deism or deism, is, is a quasi-Christian belief system that was very in vogue around the Enlightenment that's sort of like, well, there is a God or was a God and this God created the universe and sort of kicked things off. They didn't have a concept of evolution yet, but sort of kicked things off and, and then that God went away. And that's why we don't see this God in our daily lives anymore. The way that the people in the Bible, you know, claim to have seen a God in their daily lives. It's because this God just doesn't hang out with us anymore. Huh. And this was this theology that was very popular with like the founding fathers yeah dogma too actually come to think of it, of, of it 
Like, uh, I think this is our second mention of the movie Dogma. I think it is, but, you know... <laughs> the best Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, Dogma, God just sort of... It's, it's sort of well-known among the angels that God will just take time off and go to be by herself. I'm saying her because she's Alanis Morissette. You know, to go hang out by herself and she goes and plays skee-ball. So it's like, there are a lot of... Uh, versions of heaven that don't include a god which i think is is pretty interesting so we might you know it might be true that your sort of feelings about bureaucracy are true in this case that all these sort of lower level middle managers are like just carrying on the mission and uh doesn't really matter who's up at the top wouldn't it be interesting if it turns out that this is sort of a perversion of what had originally been intended what do you mean well that you know a, a a god put a heaven and hell into place and then kind of pieced out and then these bureaucrats um changed the ratio of humans or made hell a much worse place than it's supposed to be or something like that yeah like in making things more efficient they have lost the spirit of the project or something right <laughs> the spirit of of the hell project <laughs> That'd be interesting. Maybe when Amy Poehler guest stars as God, fingers crossed for that. We'll see the, the, the real intention. And the other thing in this that I thought was interesting this, uh, in this article was this philosophy, philosophy professor's prediction for what happens in the show or what, what he thinks will happen. He says, my prediction is that Michael becomes friends with our heroes, which this interview was uh, recorded and written about a few episodes ago. Uh, so he'll start to see the point of ethics. That's a philosophical claim. And basically he's saying that um, we think of philosophy and ethics as like completely divorced from, like, I think we see this with Chidi and we saw this with the trolley problem where like, they're looking at ethics completely divorced from like real life situations. But this guy is saying more life begins in the family and with your friends. That's where most of the action is. Uh, the idea that you can begin to see the point of ethics when you see how it works out in the context of small-scale personal relationships, that's an interesting idea, and I suspect that's where they're going. He'll be moralized as he becomes friends with the human beings who are in the business of interacting with one another on moral terms. Which we've seen over and over again throughout the past couple of episodes. Uh, I found the one iTunes review that we have, and I'm going to finish up the uh, the podcast by reading it out loud. It's by someone who's... Username is Felda Griff. I don't know who okay. which one of you this is, but I love you. It says, fun podcast about a great show. Five stars. Good, often insightful commentary about the best comedy on television. You're a great person, Felda Griff. I don't know who you are, but you're a great person. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, podcast reviewer. Before we, uh, before we wrap up, we need to talk about what we're going to be doing during the hiatus. And I think we're going to do one old episode a week right yeah uh, from the first season yeah yeah from the first season right so we'll start with season one episode one and we'll work forward and obviously we won't make it through all of them and then the next time the show goes on hiatus we'll just go back to where we left off yeah and then i'm sure we'll have a lot of other stuff to talk about i have an entire episode that i want to do about materialism let's do it you don't know what that means no i don't so that's what the episode is going to be. You're just telling me what it is. A masterclass on materialism. Yeah. No. 
Is it the Madonna song about being a material girl? Uh, it's a it's a little different. It, the The summary would be something along the lines of, if the human mind is completely contained within the brain, then what are these people who are in the afterlife if they're not their physical self? And what is their identity? I don't even I don't even know where to begin with that. I know, but we'll we'll save that one until um until we've gone through yeah. all of season one. All right, should we wrap up? Until next time, guys, be like Feldegriff. Thanks so much, Ding Dongs. We will see you uh, with a review of episode one, season one, next time.